0: Hello, welcome back to this week's episode of the Empowered Artists Collective podcast. My name is Jennifer Apple, sheher. And this week, I got to talk to the most open hearted, warm, caring person who is doing the work with a capital W, Ali B. Gorey. We have an incredibly candid conversation about the importance of disability inclusion and advocacy. And while this is generally a harder conversation, Ali really breaks down the ways in which we can become better allies, support, include, expand the way in which we understand this type of work, and also bring it into our workspaces in a safe and accountable way. Allie also shares a ton of tools and resources to better learn about this type of work. We unpack definitions, and Allie shares her journey in this space, particularly focusing on her current engagements as a community engagement manager, a educator, and also a professor. So without further ado, enjoy.
1: B. Gory, how are you? Hi, I'm so happy to be talking to you. Same. Your like <laughs> joyful face is just filling
2: my heart. Like truly, you popped into this room. I was like,
1: oh, yay! <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Utter joy. Um, for anybody who's listening, who are you today? Who am I today? Today, I am a teaching artist. I am a community organizer. I'm an advocate, and I'm an artist myself. And you're calling from Alabama, is that the thing? Yeah, I moved down to Birmingham in the pandemic, which is where I'm from. And I said I would never return. Mm -hmm. However, pandemics do things to us. They they work in mysterious ways. And I ended up coming back to Birmingham and working at a regional theater down here, Red Mountain Theater in a community engagement role and loved it so much and saw some uh, real unmet needs here yeah. that I felt I could plug into. And um, it's, I would have never imagined moving home. And yet, I'm so content right now. So I, it, oh. it, it's a very interesting place to be. Yeah,
2: I mean, that's what they say, never say never. And it's for that exact reason. I
1: think. Well, yeah, I think contentment in general, right? It's something I've been exploring a lot because I think as artists, we get so used to like living for the next big thing that we're going to do. And recently I've just been exploring like, what if things are just good right now? And like, what if things are just steady? That's okay. Yeah.
2: I'd say it's more than okay. I'd say that that's a feat that many of us are striving towards, you know, (laughs) in our like daily lives of how do you just have a baseline of steadiness and stability in some way that feel like that must be wonderful.
1: (laughs) It's neat. You know, I'm trying yeah. to not create the drama because, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. a, you know, it's new. Tell people more
2: about the work that you do. Obviously, you were saying you were coming down in this capacity, you know, to this theater in that way. But let's rewind a bit the sure. work that you do specifically.
1: Yeah. So when I was up in New York and really before that, when I was living here, I was doing a lot of advocacy work as a young person, right, in high school on through college, I identify as a person with low vision. So I've had a disability since birth. I've truly never known life any other way. So I think it's pretty awesome. And when I moved up to New York, I began understanding advocacy through a a broader disability lens, not just a low vision or blindness lens, but in a bigger lens and um, was, was working in different art spaces on accessibility and inclusion efforts. And that's really where I found a, a real unmet need and a passion. One of my favorite, I get really nerdy on quote, but one of my favorite theologians talks about calling is where you feel like the your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger. And mm-hmm. that's what I found in this accessibility and inclusion work. So did some of that in New York and it's been really Not some of that, a lot of that. And then Mm -hmm. coming back to Alabama, it's been very interesting because New York is light years ahead. Mm. There's a lot of people doing the work. And here in Birmingham, there are a lot of people who want the work done, but there aren't a lot of people doing it. And it's just newer, right? People in the South are often very concerned about being polite. And so they won't even say the word disability. So I realized- when I got here, that I actually could probably maybe get some more done down here.
0: Yeah.
2: Wow. Oof. Okay. This is going to be such a juicy episode. I can't wait. I want to dial back and just get on definition terms Yeah. in terms of the word disability, because Mm -hmm. I feel like it's thrown around in ways that are A, harmful, but B, quote unquote, incorrect. I am not even know why I'm putting that in quotes, but just I want to... I want to get on the same page of what that is.
1: Yeah. So when I'm thinking disability and, you know, you could ask five disabled people their definition Mm -hmm. and it might be different, right? I'm also not Webster's Dictionary. I'm. Surprise, surprise, (laughs) surprise. Um, and a lot of people with disability also have their own ways. They like to talk about their experience. So I'm just truly speaking on on my terms Mm -hmm. and what I've researched and known, but a disability, um, is an impairment that gets in the way of your activities of daily living, right? So that like makes a significant difference in how you operate on a day-to-day basis. Um, also, I don't think impairment is a bad word. I don't think disability is a bad word, um, but a lot of people are like, oh, your special thing and your, your difference or, and I'm like, just say it. Like it gets in the way, you know, like I have days where I have a migraine and because my eyes are working 10 times harder than everyone else's and I have to go to bed, I just, I have to go to bed and that's my day. Um, I have other days where I'm working on a show and I'm backstage and it's dark and I have to ask for help. Like I cannot navigate without assistance. And so when I think disability, I think, um, of something that gets in the way of your daily activities or something uh, that requires accommodation in order for you to be not even yeah. on the same playing field, but just in the same general playing vicinity as your peers. Yeah, um, because I don't think the fields will ever quite be the same. It would be a dream, but yeah. I—that's that's the whole equity equality discussion, and that's a lot, right, to get into at the start. But I know I was no, but I was going to
2: literally say, but this seems like the conversation around we're talking about structures that are in place yes. that that define what "quote unquote" normalcy is. And therefore, if one does not meet that quote unquote level of normalcy, anything other than that is somehow not good
1: in right. like, or, or okay or welcome. And, and I'm glad it. you said that. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up too, because within disability as well, there are different models of disability and there are two main ones, but if you read disability studies books, there's a million, you know, we could get academic about this all day, but I try to keep it in terms that we can all agree on, or even not even agree on, but just come to have some mutual understanding about. So a lot of times, um, I think even people in like my parents and especially my grandparents generation see disability through a medical lens of like Mm -hmm. disability, um, is the problem, like, uh, I remember, you know, growing up in the South, people would pray for a miracle or a cure yeah. or, right? So like immediately it's like, oh, you have a disability? Well, we'll pray for healing. Oh yeah. A lot of a lot of folks in those older generations think about disability through that medical lens, right? That it's a problem that needs to be fixed and that people with disabilities are not capable of independent lives or lives without assistance. Um, and that people with disabilities, um, kind of are defined by their limits. And then you have the social model of disability, which says that the actual diagnosis that you were given as a disabled person, that's not the problem. Um, You are only disabled because of society and that society was not built with disability in mind. So it's that society is actually what's disabling you. It's not the impairment or the condition. Yeah, Uh, And that's sort of the model that I choose to operate under Um, Well, yes, I completely say, yeah, I have a disability and I have a lot of friends who are disabled. It's not really our lack of being able to do stuff that is disabling. It is going to, you know, acting classes my entire life. And it wasn't until I was 26 that I went into a class where I had accommodations willingly made for me, you know, that that's the the thing that I, I think about.
2: I mean, this is multi layered, and we're not going to quote unquote solve anything in this conversation. But at the same time, I think. Just simply even talking about it through this lens is so helpful because, and obviously it's like work that I'm continuing to try to unpack for myself in this world that I've been brought up very privileged in to be able to just function on my daily life and not have to think about the fact that there's only stairs and I can walk them or there's only this you know light in this room and that's totally okay. And that I just, it's not even something I have to think about. Yeah. and yet and yet you know it's like there's all these gorgeous humans who need more that it's not because it's inconvenience it's just we did not create spaces that can hold everyone and all their needs
1: yes you're so on the money right there you're so on target you know lately i've been really taken with this idea about how can we design experiences for people with disabilities that offer them spontaneity, yeah. right? Because we can just go wherever we want. Most of us, right? If you know we want to drive to the grocery store, great. We get in the car, or we mm-hmm. get on the subway, or we take the bus. Um, living in New York made me and having friends who use wheelchairs or who had mm-hmm. mobility disabilities, right? I was very aware of it. Um, being someone with low vision, you know, I public transportation was my life in New York, and moving. Yeah moving to different places and being in different cities on tour, I was like, well, who's driving, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just, that's how it is. But, um, I'm, I'm really fascinated right now with the idea of what can I do to help someone else have a more spontaneous day? Yeah.
2: Well, let's talk about the work that you are doing because it is building towards a world that does allow for that. And so I'm curious about the advocacy work that you do, whether it is with individuals, communities, programs, institutions, first, how you really kind of got into that space and the ways in which you teach and honored that space to cultivate more of an understanding and change, I guess. yeah.
1: Yeah. So I really got into that space and started doing the work when I was living in New York, probably around 2016, 2017. Um, Again, I'd been doing some low vision and, and blindness related advocacy in Alabama as a young person. But when I was in New York, I started realizing that I was the only disabled person in spaces and realizing that it wasn't as easy to get accommodations, and, and I had a lot more ad, like self-advocacy. And I ended up reaching out to a disability theater organization where I was able to meet artists with various disabilities. And that was my first time really identifying even as disabled, right? I just said I had low vision or I had trouble seeing here. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, I'm disabled, like I'm gonna claim this um, as, as a real part of me and, and not be ashamed of it. Um, And it was really when I was doing shows and working with other disabled artists. And I was doing a show in maybe 2017 um, with my friend Evan Ruggiero, who is an amputee. And he's an incredible artist, first and foremost. But we had some shared experience. And then I went on to collaborate with some more disabled artists. And I, I was just learning not only about their lived experience, but also just the lack of understanding, knowledge and training that our industry had as a whole Mm -hmm. and an industry that often likes to say we are inclusive. We are creating these opportunities for people to see themselves on stage. And yet they're leaving out 25% of the population. Uh, it, it, it was just striking to me. And the more I was able to get into rooms that were, you know, um, being in final callbacks for, for pretty major projects or being, um, getting screen tests for things. And then the role going to someone who was non-disabled and then, Mm -hmm. you know, having these experiences really fueled my want to um, not just, you know, train harder, work harder, get the role, whatever, but also to train the people around me um, in a way that didn't feel shame or blame-ish, right? In a way where it's like, oh, there is a real deficit here. Um, And so that's really what inspired me and and just continuing to foster those relationships with disabled people and disabled artists who have been doing the work for a long time. I think with any community, you have to pay respect to all the people who have been kicking down the doors before you. And in New York, I met a lot of people who were the first, you know, kind of human that, you know, banged on the doors of the equity building and said, you have to see me like you can't ignore me and you can't not accommodate me. Um, I had so many friends who who were wheelchair users that would get callbacks for things on the third floor of a building with no elevator, you know, just... Mm -hmm. I mean, I could talk about these stories forever, but that fired me up to do the work. Um, And I was able to do the work in New York with a handful of groups. Um, And then I realized, well, I've worked at a lot of regional theaters and I've been the only disabled person they've hired. And they didn't even necessarily always know when they hired me that I was disabled. Mm. Because depending on the day, right, I might not look disabled or I might not, if I come in memorized you don't see me reading a script with it right up to my face. Right. right. Mm-hmm. If I'm not learning a dance call, you don't see me having to ask to have certain things accommodated and taught differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started with the people I knew and just said, Hey, I see some real issues in the industry can i do an accessibility audit that i had learned about through through others in, in my world and been trained and they said sure yeah come help us and so once i started working with the theaters i knew the word spread they would this other theater would say hey come train our staff hey teach our front of house people hey yeah. do you lead an audition workshop and it just started building i think the theater community even the regional theater community you know you work at one theater in washington dc or, or atlanta or birmingham or wherever and and people the word gets around and you might be at one regional theater one day and then their friend from the small town community theater wants a training and you go do it because everybody deserves a chance everyone deserves the opportunity to get in the door and experience good art no matter if you're auditioning or in the audience or a creative that wants to build sets or costumes like everyone deserves that shot and deserves to be treated like a human being and not like a problem
2: yeah when you go into these spaces are, are people requesting a certain type of structured training do you come in do your audit and then say this is what i feel is best for your space this is yeah. what i love to do
1: that's a great question and it really depends on the partner and sort of the, the contract and what we talk about and like where their needs are and what is financially, what makes sense, right? And yeah. so in a dream world, I would audit everywhere first and say, okay, here's what I'm seeing. But some people are like, hey, can you train our front of house people? And I'll say, excellent, sure. Some people say, hey, can you speak to our board on why this is important? And then we can get more funding and then you can, you know, so it really depends. Some people say, hey, I'm just hiring you because I'm doing a show that has five blind actors in it. So help me. We need support. Yeah, Yeah. help me. Um, So it can be as general or as specific as possible. I love talking to college students. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love when college students, or I get to go just talk about um, how to, be the humans that learn how to speak up in rooms so that other people don't have to. Right. <laughs> well,
2: May I ask some of the things that, I mean, obviously this is like, people should pay you for these workshops so you don't have to give away all your tricks and you know, whatever. But if you were to have a single or a couple takeaways that you would share with say a college student about, or any frankly a human being who's going to be in an artistic space to stand I'm up okay. in this way, what would be some of those tools or tricks that you'd share?
1: Oh, well, one of my favorite things, right, when you're designing a program, like just say you are um, on a creative team or you're holding auditions for something, or even if you're in a a cast or a program, right, one of my favorite uh, tips that just allows people to open the door and disclose if they want to is on any kind of just say you're registering for an acting class, you're doing your measurements for costumes right you are sending in your info and stuff to stage management i I think on any introductory level even you know when you're filling out an audition form there should be a space that says is there anything else you'd like me to know because it's not saying what's (laughs) what's your problem which is a real question i've been asked in auditions before unbelievable Um, thank you people are wild um but it's allowing people the space to disclose, and you can even do parentheses, you know, I mean, you can say like you know, access needs, rehearsal support, whatever. I think those kind of questions um allow people to feel comfortable enough to say something if that's what they want to do um, mm-hmm. or they don't. But I think a lot of times, we design things in a way that people have to like awkwardly raise their hand and advocate for themselves. and, if they're showing up to do artistic work, they should be able to just show up and do the work and not have to be on guard all the time. And that's one of my easiest, easiest takeaways that we can all do, right? On any kind of form, registration, anything. Um, and again, if you, if you do know, because you don't always know, and that's what's hard, right? But once you do know, I think there's a way um, to be able to especially if it's someone in your cast or your crew. Um, I'll never forget. I was working at a theater in Sonoma, California, and uh, the cast knew that I couldn't see in the dark. And this show took place at night in the dark, right? Like outside. Yeah. Um, and I always had people that were like, well, I'm not coming on stage until I know you're out there and you're good. You know? Wow. And it was yeah. oh, that is support. And like, we were able to create the show in a way that like, I would never be running off into a dark abyss, right? right? There was Always someone there. But it was actually my roommate and some of the people in my cast that were like, Hey, you good? Like, we got you instead yeah. of having to like, yell hold 14 million times in a process, yeah. um, which I'm very used to doing because I'm yeah. not, sure how, but yeah, it's figuring out like, Hey, how could I like, step in a little bit? Um, I don't know. It's simple. Yeah. And maybe it, it seems like a lot, but it's, it's, well, no, I, I
2: love that as an offering, right? Because you're allowing people to choose. You're giving them the option to be able to, to, pre- to share for themselves yeah. when and if they, however they feel comfortable. But I guess that leads me into a secondary question of like safety in
0: that, yeah. which is let's say
2: you are offering that and you have mm-hmm. decided to be like, okay, cool. We want to make people feel comfortable sharing the things that they need in order to feel safe what happens with holding, frankly, accountability for the fact that someone has now disclosed something that they need in order to feel comfortable?
1: Yeah. Well, what happens is like how to respond, you know, like I always say to once, you know, right, you can't unknow. Um, so once someone has disclosed that with you, and if they have an access need now, of course, we're all human, we might forget, right? Um, gosh, there have been certain times where I've, I mean, I've worked with artists with different access needs and I was like, oh my gosh, of course, like, yeah, we're all human and we make mistakes. But if someone's like, Hey, just say you're, you're teaching an acting class. Right. And someone says, Hey, I need my sides three days ahead of time. I have a learning disability. Right. We can set that reminder on your calendar, on your thing. Um, and, and it, it, you can, you can work it in into a way that it's going to eventually feel seamless. It won't at first, yeah. because guess what? People with disabilities, it doesn't feel seamless when we have to learn how to ask for help too. Yeah. So it's, it's a, it's, it goes so many ways. When I was in seventh grade, I had a mentor say, you have to write an advocacy script if you really want to do this thing and be a professional in the theater. And I didn't want to do it. And she said, well, the more you practice it, just like a script, you'll stop attaching so much of you to it. It'll just be words. And now you can do it for other people. So yeah. Wow. What about
2: the, and this is again, a larger topic, but what about the shame and the stigma around it? I don't even know where to like, where you'd want to go with that, but I just want to throw that and we can take it wherever.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's really important that you bring that up because, you know, I'm almost 30 and I still have days where I don't necessarily feel shame, but I feel frustrated in the stigma, right? In the assumption that something won't be able to be done a certain way, or the assumption of disabled means less than, or the assumption that I don't know. There there's so many assumptions made about people with disabilities. You know, I, I'm a tap dancer and I walk into auditions all the time and I say, Hey, I'm gonna stand on the front row and I'm not gonna switch lines. And the choreographer is like, you can't see, how do you dance? And I, I just laugh because I'm like, oh my goodness, I would never walk in this room if I didn't feel competent. Like I would, yeah. I would go to a different audition, but like I'm yeah. here. So i clearly, have done my homework. So yeah. there are just things like that where it's, I don't want to be negative, but I think it's always going to happen until we start seeing disability portrayed in a more empowered way in media, in what we see every day. And it's just, we're not there yet. Yeah.
0: Have you been
2: finding that there are resources or institutions or programs that you feel comfortable sharing that are leading the way in this?
1: Yes, 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 yes. I would follow the work of the National Disability Theater. They're amazing. Um, There are just so many individuals that are doing really, really good work. Um, There are the Disability Futures Fellows that is this huge, huge uh, grant given every year to just people who are leading the way in disability arts, culture, disability studies, just just disabled badasses. I would follow any of those people. Just Google Disability Futures Fellows, and they're doing really good work. Um, There are certain academic institutions, too, that offer really good just training to disabled people. There are, gosh... I could go on a family theater in Denver has been doing the work for years. Mm-hmm. And they're just some of the people that like, I don't think get credit enough. I think they should be this ginormous entity and, and and they're not there yet, but I would love them to be like a whole city block of a just training facility um, because they deserve it. And they do really, really good work. Uh, so those are arts organizations. Oh, and then New York the museum arts and culture access consortium it's called mac for short mm-hmm. if you look up mac they teach accessibility workshops they do trainings they have free classes they really want to not only teach folks in arts and culture institutions how to be more inclusive but they also want to create spaces for disabled creatives as well wow. and I'm just giving you more resources. Last but not least, yeah. the community center has a conference every year called the Lead Conference, Leadership Exchange in Arts and Disability. And anyone there is who's presenting or doing work there um is is doing some awesome stuff. So those are those are sort of the big names and people that I could yeah. put on the back forever for really doing the work. And I'm sure I'm missing people. So sorry to all my peeps. (laughs) No, this is this is so this is so wonderful, right? Because I feel with us
2: talking about like the stigma around it or whatever, you know, from the, from a more privileged perspective, it could be, well, I don't want to, you know, offend anybody if I say the wrong thing, or I don't want to seem like I don't know. And it's like, well, you need to admit that you don't know in order to actually grow. Right. So Mm -hmm. like saying, I don't know where to start. I don't know where to look. I don't know how to act. Like I, this is a wonderful stepping stone to be like, cool. Let me look at the work of these people. Amazing. Wow. They're offering a workshop. Let's take that or from-
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, read the book, Disability Visibility. Like, listen to that podcast. They're so, ugh, I could give you book recommendations. Yeah, I was literally going to ask you, so yes, please. Yeah, Disability Visibility. One of my favorites is Haben, uh, the first deaf-blind graduate of Harvard Law. She's unreal. Um, oh gosh, no pity if you want to get like real heady and learn about the past, present, and future. Um, If you really want to understand about the disability rights movement and, like, how far we've come, read Judy Human's book, who, if you've ever watched the documentary Crip Camp on Netflix, Judy helped get the ADA passed, and she's a force, also still alive and a force. Um, I mean, those are just to start. And then, you know, you could ask me, I get really, I'm in a really nerdy phase right now on like disability and spirituality and like what all of the different, I mean, go there. Yeah. Yeah. Go there. Please nerd out. You know, being back in the South, I just finished a book that was very interesting. And I don't know if I agree with all of it, but I agree with 90% of it. It's called my body is not a prayer request, you know, growing up in in Mm -hmm. spaces. It's what I sort of mentioned at the beginning of this where people are like, oh my gosh, you have a blind daughter. Like we'll pray that God takes it away. And it's like, we're not. (laughs) We're not. So
2: pray that the world can accept the fact that this is nothing to be ashamed of. Like (laughs) play for that.
1: Yeah. So it's been, it's really interesting. I think I get really curious about just reading a variety of perspectives and seeing where disability intersects again, like in other places, in uh, academia, in faith spaces, in the arts, right. In, in, business spaces. Oh my goodness. We could go on and on about Mm. really bad. At the start of the pandemic I was working uh and this wasn't bad. Don't worry. I actually really enjoyed this job. I had a corporate job doing diversity and inclusion training, but I was looking at some of the other disability inclusion trainings going on in the area or just very typical corporate things people do to help educate about disability. And oh, it hurt my heart. It's like put on a blindfold or like sit in a wheelchair for an hour and it like there are they are truly so many offices for like their diversity and inclusion day lol day have you know disability simulation and i'm like oh how nice that you can try on a disability right. and take it off like it doesn't work that way yeah. so it's also you know one thing i think that's important while i say things like this and give you a little sass about them it's important that when you see things like that that you say like hey this isn't cool Good yeah I think it's really, really important, or when you see a disability being portrayed in a way or someone talking about disability in your life, even in your own family, you know I mean, we all have places to grow, and there even people in our circles might say things and and it's I always like to ask like, hmm, what makes you say that <laughs> or like, where'd that come from? just to sort of test because if people really don't understand or they only have a frame of reference that is like Super ingrained and ableist, then like you got to unpack it a little bit and 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 ask. Yeah, well, talk about your
2: master's degree and after that, how this yeah. has led to where you are.
1: Yeah, so of course, what better time to decide to go to grad school than a pandemic? Uh, <laughs> I always knew I wanted to go, and I would honestly be in school for the rest of my life if I could. I'm such a nerd, and I'm okay with it i love school like i i started taking my first college class today and i you know was like i gotta dress like a teacher and have all my supplies and, what are you teaching um i am teaching a class called community engagement for theater students Amazing. so yeah I, I love it it's I, I wish my undergrad theater degree had a community engagement course that was theater specific like i probably would be doing the work that i'm doing now a lot earlier yeah um But I always knew I wanted to be able to take the arts into spaces that were either off limits or um, start kind of building pipelines to the arts through different ways, especially with like within the disability world. A lot of people don't get training or access because they are told they can't or they're told that they shouldn't or whatever. And I did know at first I was like well do I want to do like drama therapy or music right. therapy and I thought oh those are great but I want to focus on the art more and feelings are great I love feelings shout out to my therapist but <laughs> love you we'll, we'll, we'll tag your
2: therapist in the show notes yeah, like...
1: yeah oh my gosh she's amazing um <laughs> <laughs> but no music therapy Art therapy, drama therapy, dance movement, amazing things, right? But I wanted to focus more on the art side and how, you know, engaging in art and creativity enhances our well-being and also sneak my way into healthcare spaces mm-hmm. to help build pipelines so that, you know, folks who might be in the hospital might discover like, oh my goodness, I have this, this thing inside me and I always thought I couldn't do it and I can. Right. Um, so anyway master's program was called arts and medicine because it encompasses all of the arts right so i got to do practicums in applied theater and i got to do dance classes for folks with disabilities and i took a class about arts with military populations like i got to i was just in heaven right and we were really encouraged to create in all different you know genres and mediums of art so of course i was like I ain't no painter. Okay. But like, I could make a collage <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. creative writing. I, I came back to loving writing and realized mm-hmm. that was a really joyful and safe place for me, but I love it because it focuses on how to use the arts to um, make you feel less like a patient or a diagnosis and more like a person. And that's if I could explain arts and health in, in one, way, it would be that. Um, so Anyway, master's was arts and medicine. It was through the University of Florida. But don't worry, I did not move to Florida for two years. I was actually able to do it here in Birmingham. The cool part about the program is you uh, to be a part of the program, you have to be in a city that has an active arts and medicine or arts and health um, program at a hospital like a partner organization. Mm -hmm. So you do your field work locally and then you do workshops and things online. And then, you know, we went to Florida for an intensive, but other than that, like you're working in the field, which can be tricky during COVID. Um, but you're really working and then taking classes online and still seeing your fellow classmates, but virtually. So it allows you to sort of maintain your work schedule, which is nice.
2: Yeah.
1: I loved it. Um, but I got to really um learn that theater is for all souls and mm-hmm. it can enhance everyone's world even people who are shy or nonverbal or or really just pissed off like yeah there is a physical way in there is you know a a very pedestrian way in it doesn't have to be so performative and it it was amazing. I started working with senior adults. I never considered myself an old people person before (laughs) my degree. I was like, I mean, grandmas are cool, but now I lead a senior theater troupe every week and realize that, you know, this, this ensemble of senior actors, like it keeps, they all keep each other alive. Like they are each other's network. A lot of my research was on how that group impacts their like quality of life. Yeah. And it it really I think for us who have been artists our whole lives, we don't see it as life or death. We're like, yeah, it's just what I do. Like it's and maybe we do, but in some of my research and interviews and, and surveys that I I did with some of these older populations, it was like this group is like why I am on the earth. And wow. you know, as, as seniors, people think I can't contribute anymore. And I can and I have a voice now. And um it's It's bigger, you know, I I love, I just love arts and health because you can reach so many different corners of the population that you might not think about, you know, there, there's theater at hospital bedsides, there is, you know, puppetry at children's hospital, you know, there's just Mm -hmm. so many ways to remind people that they are creative, just as they are, and they are important, and that their voice matters. And yeah. I get I get really No, but
2: I mean this is the whole point, right? I I think it's like a really helpful and incredible reminder. You know, for many of us, we get into it because you're really talented when you're the kid, or because it's the community that you made your friends, or you know, whatever. Somebody nurtured you and they're like, This is where you're gonna thrive and then eventually
1: good at this. Yeah. Exactly,
2: exactly. But and it's also It is a, yeah. Are um, are we curing cancer? No, but you are the vessel through which stories are being told. Hopefully humanity is being seen and experienced and there is literal therapy that is possible when somebody is able to see themselves, experience something that they aren't otherwise able to process. I mean, that marriage in that program is so important and I didn't even really know that that actual degree existed until you went and I was like whoa 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 Whoa, what is
1: this it is so special and I agree I think I don't know about you but I also gotten to a point when I was living in New York and I realized like this is great and I know it's what I've done all my life and I've put on my tap shoes since I was in third grade Mm -hmm. and you know always the one at parties where they're like sing for us you're a singer you know unreal yep
2: yeah, you're like you're not asking the lawyer who's in the room to like argue a case, you know. Yeah,
1: but it's like, oh, our daughter, sing for sing for yeah. our friends, sing mm-hmm. for them. And it's so funny. It's not, it's not at all. It's not at all.
2: <laughs> a little traumatic, I hear you. Very but, much.
1: I know. And now, you know, you get to what your late twenties are, I and you're like, what the heck is it all for? Like, what? I I I'm good at this. I can make sounds with my breath and my tone and my voice. I can make a lot of sounds with my feet and I can, you know, make you think I'm someone else. I'm a great player of pretend, but like, what is it for? Right. And like, thank God there are other avenues and there are multiple ways to be an artist and multiple ways to, yeah, inhabit your own artistry. And there are just so many avenues. I think, thank God, like, thank God for, I think the pandemic and for the ability to reassess and just step back and realize like, Hmm, I think there's other ways to do what I love and still feel that performance high. Like I, I can honestly say that I feel the same joy and just overwhelming feeling of like accomplishment and pride and love when I'm working and, you know, creating a device theater piece with girls in foster care that I, you know, I also felt that joy when I was touring with Seussical, you know, but like it's, there's not one that's better. Yeah. (laughs) And
2: arguably, I mean, I'd say that one is potentially the thing that actually reminds you of actually your your humanity what? and actually your artistry not in a belittling taking away from like oh. commercial theater or commercial you know art but I think one is really having you interact with with that exact tangible thing which is what art is actually about
1: yes that is you ding 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 yeah. <laughs>
2: yes absolutely how, how cool that you've first that you've like really found this for yourself. I mean, you've always been circling it, but that really that you found the love and you've given yourself the resources and an ability to really dive in, but also that frankly, the world gets to, or whoever the communities are that are engaging with you, get to experience that with you. I mean, it's clear and so tangible, just sitting with you, how much you love it and therefore how important it is. And I mean, that is just, uh, that,
1: that feeling is contagious well, thank you for seeing that and for, for understanding it, because I agree. I I just, it, it it is something different. And secretly, I love getting to be with all these different communities too, because I get to sneak in disability advocacy on the side, right? Like, I'd be teaching, um, you know, folks at a, a, a dual language school theater, but I'm also teaching them how to stand up for themselves and ask for their accommodation yeah, or, you yeah. know, even just by like, um, I had a kid, I had two different kinds of, I love those like little moments of self-disclosure because as a yeah. teacher, you never want to be like, well, when I was an actor, right? Like, <laughs> so yeah. But I like human self-disclosure. Like even this week, right. I had a little second grader, um, tap me on the shoulder and say, Miss Allie B, I have to leave class early to go to therapy. And I was like, Oh my gosh i love therapy i go too and she was shook she was wow like, too or right one of my students uh we were playing a game and i was just able to subtly be like hey guys i can't see out of one eye so if you want to win you might want to come over to my left side because i really <laughs> won't see you over there right and it's just subtle but it's making it normal for kids yeah. People, so that it's like less of a thing, just in case they might have to disclose something later.
2: Yeah. But also, you become a real life, you know, role model. Oh, you know, it's
1: nice. I just have a good, time.
2: I know. But I mean, like, obviously, that is what a role model is. It's somebody who isn't trying to do it. And then all of a sudden, these people look up to them. Right. But I think there's something about you are living and breathing. It's not just lip service. You are doing the thing that you are claiming that you are in enmeshed in. And yeah. by doing that and making those little, you know, just tiny know. little
1: drops in the bucket. Exactly.
2: Exactly. And that really does make a long-lasting impression. That's how change starts. That's how change continues. Um, I mean, I am curious about the community engagement class that you're teaching and yes. what exactly you do there.
1: <laughs> oh, I love it so much. So it's, it's a blast, first of all, when the head of the theater program at Sanford University said, hey... All my students basically shadowed you all semester last year. Why don't you just teach the class? You're the mm-hmm. one out in the field and you should do it. And I said, well, she's like, do you have a master's? And I was like, I'll be done in two months. And she yeah. said, great, you're hired. Um, not really. It took a little bit more
2: paper. I mean, yeah. I mean, universities, literally the red tape is wild.
1: We do, but uh, it is wild, but it's an awesome, awesome, um, time I get to spend with these students to theater elective. So, you know, it's an hour a week. It's not it's not crazy. Um, but we learn about the with the breadth of what community engagement for theater looks like, right? So we spend time talking about residencies as an educator. We talk about school tours when, you know, both shows tour to schools, but then also field trips where school kids come to theaters to learn mm all the different jobs in a theater. That's one of the things I do it theater a lot is teach kids about how you can have a career in the arts in like 40 different ways. Right. Um, we talk about show specific community engagement. So how to create a community conversation. That's not, how do you learn all those lines after the show, right? How yeah. to create show specific community engagement in the community. Right. So, Oh, are you doing, let me think of an example, like, we're doing a human rights new works festival right and every play uh is dealing with a, a very specific community or issue right mm-hmm. so we're, we're doing a play about helen keller's adult life so we're partnering with the school for the deaf and the blind right how do we sustain a partnership like that and use it well so that it's not lip service but a true partnership yeah um, or if we're doing a show we're doing one show about the death penalty and we're having a panel afterwards with former death row inmates that were exonerated. So um, ways to engage the community in a way where my goal, and I try to teach this to my students is if you're inspired after seeing a play or a piece of theater, what are you going to do about it? Yeah, How are you going to give the audience a tangible thing to do so that they're going to be like, oh, I did this thing. But you're like, I told you this thing. Yeah. But, um, but so it can be show specific community engagement, right? It can be those residencies. It can be creating um, a sensory inclusive performance. It can look, we we have basically units that are about teaching. We have units on um, in terms of like, wow, I'm, I get very excited about this class. <laughs> this is here. Let me see if I can like rewind. Um, we talk about different populations, right, how to create and maintain partnerships, be that in a teaching artist capacity or in like a come to the theater, your kids from your school for kids with autism should come to our Wednesday show every month and like, let's create an awesome day for you, right? Mm -hmm. We talk about various populations and how to maintain those partnerships, and then we talk about show-specific engagement, and then we end with a unit on Making sure everything is inclusive and wow. accessible. So it's it's only a semester long course, but we pack a lot in there, and they get to um, really work themselves on creating lesson plans. Creating, they start creating their own. I call it a Hall of Champions, right? A list of community partners mm. that are vetted and that that um, they can have start fostering their own relationships with while they're in school and while they're teaching and so many things in between so anyway i love it it's a small class so i take them on a lot of field trips they get to come to the theater they get to meet some of my students and community partners and that way too you know if you're teaching in a really rough school where they have no arts programming and the only way they're being disciplined is through teachers screaming at them Mm You might want to be an assistant the first time you go there, right? (laughs) Right. It is also giving my students a ton of field experience. Yeah. If somebody, I mean, I want to take this
2: class. So if somebody were wanting to learn these types of things, is this something that at some point you would potentially be teaching on your own? Or is there some place that people can learn these types of tools on their own when and if they are trying to further develop the way in which they're engaging with communities?
1: you have given me an idea.
2: <laughs> Good. We love that because I'm just saying there, I mean, you know this, but there is a market for individuals and or organizations who I would imagine could really, really benefit from tactile, tangible steps for how to, yeah, and resources mm-hmm, for how to do this
1: oh, maybe I need to just bundle this up and put it on masterclass. I'm just kidding.
2: No, um, don't kid. Don't kid. For real. <laughs> don't
1: kid. Um, no, I, I haven't thought that far yet. I'm just one semester at a time, but um, I love that idea. And I do, I love teaching it. Even, I mean, I kicked it off today and my heart is full, exploding, not even yeah it's overflowing. It just
2: makes me excited to know that you are, will be releasing young folks into the world who then have this already in their toolbox. And then hopefully when they go into other spaces, then they're bringing that with them. And this is, it's just really.
1: It's the pipeline situation. I just want to start being able to get into spaces earlier so that we are creating more empathetic and and building, not creating people are in, I think they're born with a lot of empathy and I think the world messes people up, yeah. but I want to uncover and share that and, and, and help the next group of young people and, and theater educators and artists have a broader awareness and, and just more awareness so that, they're making their spaces more inclusive just by being there and having their opinions and voices shared.
2: This has been such a helpful episode that I cannot wait to go back and like write down all the things that you shared.
1: But I guess
2: the thing that I really want to ask of you is what can we, and by we, I mean,
1: it's a general, we, yeah,
2: the collective we, or more specifically those of us with privilege what is like a big takeaway that we can do right now that you're like, this is the thing, besides showing up into a space and speaking up on behalf of people who should not be speaking on top of the things that they need to deal with, besides being able to add in space for people to actually share and then support those people with safety, besides reading up and on the books that you gave us and you know researching the institutions, what in this literal moment can we do that's like actually helpful?
1: Oh gosh, I I, I truly think, I mean, D all of the above, but also, also, also the next time you are creating something, right? The next time you're building something, I know, I think probably a lot of people who are creatives, who are doers, who, who are on that implementation of ideas side. um, The next time you implement any kind of artistic program, it could not even be, maybe it's a a high school reunion i don't know right but what is one step you can take i'm not saying 10 i'm not saying you need to have a sign language interpreter large print and you know and a completely accessible building i'm saying what is one step you can take ahead of time to make the experience easier on someone else right and mm-hmm. do that thing even if no one uses the resource do it anyway yeah. do it anyway just start thinking ahead and designing your next whatever thinking inclusively making that action taking that action step again this sounds so simple and basic but it's those small actions that really add up over time and people with disabilities do notice and and as someone with a disability i will always call it out because it is so rarely done mm-hmm. <laughs> you know the I have a weekend job in in a church choir, right? And they have large print bulletins every Sunday. And you better believe I just every week I'm like, love y'all. Like, this is amazing. Maybe I'm the only one that takes them, you know, who knows? I'm not counting, but it's a little thing that makes a huge difference in someone else's world. And you probably, it takes you two extra minutes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything on your heart that we have not talked about that you want to share?
1: Oh gosh. I, I, I just feel so grateful to have gotten to share.
2: Oh my goodness. Uh, Thank you.
1: Oh, my heart is full. My heart is so full. The sun is shining. Yeah. I'm just glad we got to chat and I'm so, I, I'm just so fired up about all that you do and all that you're doing Thank to you. make a more collectively empathetic and empowered group of, Artists in the world,
2: we're trying, but also, I mean, like truly, I feel like after talking to you, I'm like, well, what can I do?
1: Love <laughs> like, oh, it, you're doing it, sister. You yeah. are doing it.
2: Thank you. I'm, I'm on behalf of the larger world. I want to thank you for the the tireless effort and energy you are putting in to, in big and small ways, make the difference from a place of truly just giving um, and I'm so excited for the people that you're impacting i know that anybody who listens to this episode will also be greatly impacted by that work and it's just so wonderful to know that there are people like yourself who are doing this and there need to be more of us who can and will and and try and and just again these small little steps so i'm just endlessly grateful to you and you're just you're just a dream
1: (laughs) you're a dream and thank you thank you thank you thank you and you know what I thought of one little nugget and yes. just gonna have to drop it. I think it's really important too that if you're listening to this, that you just take an inventory of, and it could be any underrepresented community, I don't care who. Mm-hmm. Take an inventory of what you're seeing in the content you're watching, in the books you're reading and in the podcast you're listening to, and actively switch it up. Like actively make the choice to read a disabled author or watch a film that is just directed from someone with a totally different lived experience than you and make sure because i know as an actor and i think a lot of actors are probably going to be listening right i when i was in new york i would only spend tickets on shows that i could audition for right Mm -hmm. what a pity that is right take the time it's so simple but it just helps build that empathy bridge one experience at a time. So yeah, take that time. I know we all hear it, watch different content, but it really matters. It really matters. Especially if you have young people in your life. Oh my gosh. Give those young people different things to listen to, to, to toys to play with, to read, to whatever. Like it is, it's imperative. It, it's so important. So I'm sorry. I had to little, don't, don't
2: apologize. Are you kidding me? That's such a wonderful life lesson. It's it's about being the healthy amount of uncomfortable where you Yay. need to learn and grow. That's where growth happens, and we we all could take a note out of that for mm. sure, for sure. Yeah. If anybody wants to reach out to you, follow along on your journey, work with you, hire you, yes. what within your boundaries uh, is the most respectful way for people to reach out?
1: What are boundaries? I'm just kidding. What? I love a boundary. Boundaries are where growth and creativity happen. Okay. Um, so follow me um, on Instagram. My handle is at A-L-I-E-B-G, Allie B-G. Also, you can contact me through my website, AllieBGory.com. All my email and stuff is there, but I respond quickest probably through DMs or through my website. Okay. So those are probably the best ways. And just know that I want to be here for you and I want to answer questions and chat and work together. Like, let's go. If you have a bigger project that's more than just like a quick little zoom call, I'm here for you. I'm here for the zoom call, but I'm also here for the audit. Okay. Yeah. Hire
2: her friends. (laughs) Make your spaces safer. Oh, I adore you so, so very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Oh, I'm like going to go do the Hills are Alive twirl. I feel so (laughs) joyful after getting to spend this time with you.
2: (laughs) Same. I'll join you. I'll just twirl around your twirl.
1: (laughs) uh, From miles away.
0: This episode was jam packed full of resources and tools and simply just ways of thinking for myself that I know I went back and listened to a bunch of times that I can begin to hopefully incorporate into the spaces that I hold. I hope that this has done something similar for you. If you liked this episode, please like, rate, follow, and most importantly, review us. This really, really matters in terms of us expanding our community of those who are like-minded. If you did not like this episode, just let it all slide. If you have not yet done so, please follow us on Instagram at Empowered Artist Collective, on TikTok at Empower Artist Collective, or on our website at EmpoweredArtistCollective.com, And if you're seeking some merch, we got you in the show notes. As always, I am so grateful that you keep on coming back, and we will see you again next week. Until then.